Welcome to the Violet Ghost Train, where Halloween never ends, where Christmas Eve is always haunted, and where every summer's day ends in a thunderstorm. I'm your host, Crow Violet. Join us. talk about a particular sound first of all a sound you might not have heard i want to talk about the dial tone on an old school phone that sounds so strange isn't it unnerving the literal form of the uncanny for me and yet that sound it's been forgotten about or for many people never really heard at all This is the Violet Ghost Train, and this is the story of a deadline. Old school telephones, wires linking place to place, which is all the network really is, isn't it? And old school landlines wired into the walls of houses everywhere and linked by what they used to call telegraph poles, little spider webs of black cables across every street that you can still see, of course, so they carry more data these days. Our phones, they were such a trick, weren't they, like that? The old landlines, they gave the illusion of connection, that you were right there in the room with someone, when in fact there was this huge space, or they seemed like they were right next to you, But instead, there were hundreds, thousands, maybe miles of cables, thin strands reaching out across the dark, across the night. Think of it. Crows perched on rural lines, like the weight of things unspoken, and the cable tunnels that run beneath the silted dead of the Thames. Your words were reaching out when you spoke one of those old hardwired phones, but what reached the other end of the line? Just your ghost, really. An echo of who you were, perhaps. I'm indebted to a number of sources today for, or tonight, I should say, for tonight's ghost train, largely my archive of old Fortean Times magazines. And there's some books that sort of set the tone, even if they don't contain the exact story that I'm going to tell. I can really recommend a book called High Static Deadlines for some of the crackly mood tonight. Urban myth, it's an odd thing, and we all have the classic definition of an urban myth. Everyone knows someone who this definitely happened to, the, you know, the classic definition, friend of a friend. But there's one instance in particular that really interests me, and it's not that widely known, but it's got a surprisingly high number of first-hand sources who are apparently willing to go on record that they had this actual experience. And most of the accounts that I've got here seem to be from the mid to late 1970s, some into the 1980s. And if anybody knows anyone or anyone has an experience like this, I'd be really fascinated to hear from you. So reach out on Twitter, maybe. I don't know if anyone has, but it's worth a try, isn't it? Though I must confess to a little bit of nerves as to what I might call out of the ether, as it were. 
My goodness, that sounded silly, but I don't care. This story relates to something which is now largely lost to us as a culture. That's the telephone box, the public phone. Not to patronise anybody intentionally. When I intentionally patronise you, you'll know about it. But not to patronise anybody fairly young. But if you are fairly young, you might not understand the full importance of those old boxes. They're these little, brightly lit spaces. And I always think there's been, there was a walk from your house, a walk away. Now these are the days when no one had more than a single landline, if they'd even got that. And phone boxes were beyond essential if you were young especially if you were young, and they were a place to go and talk privately where your parents couldn't hear you. Weirdly, they were a place to go with your friends, call someone you liked, call it your crush. Places to meet sometimes, meet someone by the phone booth. The dirty floor, cracked glass, and a really heavy handset that was smashed more often than not. And there was a sense that these were liminal spaces, places outside regular life, Places designed for passing through rather than staying. Places, in some ways, I suppose, for the young or the excluded. And that really ties back into our story, I think. And might have been the most important aspect. So I'll give you the simple, the basic story, if you like. A group of teenagers go to a phone booth. And one of them knows a particular phone number, an unusual phone number. And you don't need coins, because you used to put coins in. But you don't need coins to ring this number. It's a longer number than usual. And as I say, it's complicated. More repetition than was usual in those days. And the, like teenagers, they crowd in around the handset and they listen while this long, complex number's dialed. So first you hear the dial tone. The number's dialed on what was old rotary. Clicking, revolving dials. And then... The call connects, and then there's a voice, a woman's voice. Some people say it was anguished, but some more people seem to say it was um, not so, quite emotionless almost. Help me, Susie's drowning. Help me, Susie's drowning. Help me, Susie's drowning. There are other versions of this. Sometimes it says... According to some version of the story, sometimes the voice said, Susie's dying, or words to that effect. But imagine the response. And the stories all tell the same kind of response from um, out at night, usually. You know, running away, laughing, screaming. Often in the stories that people tell the versions of them, they were playing truant from school or they were out too late or they were supposed to be around someone's house and they were actually around someone else or they were just hanging out in street corners when they shouldn't be. You all know this stuff. You've all done it. But imagine running away, laughing, screaming, but deeply unnerved in all the stories because what we've established there, I suppose, is a direct connection to the uncanny. And that story gets told over and over in that little window of time. And I love the imagery, the aesthetic of it, I suppose, if you like. The night and the crackling line and the simple, clear message of despair. There's a fragment of a story that we can't know the rest of. 
a literal deadline, in fact. So what's going on here? I mean, there are multiple literal interpretations of it. Some kind of group delusion, for example, created by heightened emotional states, maybe. Imagine you're hearing something you don't because everyone else tells you that you do. Or maybe at some point, perhaps just mishearing a technical recording message, dialing, drowning, dying. Do they all sound similar? Is it possible that it's just a little heightened emotional state, mishearing, perhaps? Maybe. Some kind of number station. We do have records of number stations that were operating over phone line networks well, into the 1990s, in fact, if not later. And perhaps none of the people who claim that they experienced this, maybe none of them are just telling, none of them are telling the truth. Maybe the memories aren't accurate, because memory itself is a dream of dying moments, isn't it, as they pass? You know what? I don't think any of that actually matters at all. I think what matters is that that moment, that experience is one that something within us deemed important enough to encode, not only into the memory, possibly, of those who had that experience, but also to repeat itself as a kind of meme, in the very literal sense of the word, a meme reinserting itself into our culture for a little while, repeated, passed on. Something that spoke to something within us, and it was important for that reason. Technology evolves then, though, doesn't it? And the story gets lost. And it vanishes into those singing wires and into red phone boxes sold off as movie props or garden sheds or just demolished and thrown away. Just leaving little squares of slightly paler concrete on the roads or the pavement. The story still gets retold in the internet era. In a small way, at least. And I don't know, there's just, when people hear the story, it seems to strike a chord somehow. I've noticed this happen. It's interesting, isn't it? Something in this story is important to a degree that's matched only by the fact that there's nothing important at all about whether it was real or not. That doesn't matter. It's a story. Whether everyone really experienced or not, experienced it or not, I should say, I don't know. And at the same time, the story is experience, isn't it? And of course, as I said before, we can't know what the rest of that story is. It's a fragment of some weird lost drama, whether it's one that we've created ourselves or perhaps there's something else behind it. But what is that quality? What is that? power where does that come from that makes the story survive that makes it become a meme inserted as i say into our culture i suspect it's to do with being young being excited being outside of your safe zone outside the parental home outside the rules of school crossing boundaries and reaching out and what do you find when you reach out What could be stranger and more terrifying than to find what seems like the voices of the dead? And a terror 
an absolute terror. That's the, that's the descriptions we get, a terror that exists in a zone and a way that parents and school can't help with and can't understand and quite possibly cannot even hear. There are terrors in that. Everyone faces that age though, aren't there? In one form or another, those questions and that, am I alone? Am I adored? Will I ever be free? Who is this that I am? Who is this that is coming now? To quote M.R. James. And if you'll forgive me my conceit, each of those fears perhaps manifesting either in story or, I like to think maybe even reality, as a despairing lost voice crying out on behalf of someone else in the dark to call for help that can never be answered or acknowledged. And is it any wonder that lodges in our consciousness? Is it any wonder that we reach out to that? We were all there once, young. Perhaps most of us at some point outside in the night. Worried about the rules we were breaking. Worried about what we'd hear when we lifted the phone. Worried about the voice and what it would say to us. Maybe a ghost voice isn't the worst one you can hear at that time, perhaps. I wonder... I just like to think of it. It's a little mystery of the night and the long ago. And I hope you liked it. It's a little bit of a shorter ghost train tonight. I'm experimenting with some different ideas. And I hope you liked this one. Um, we will be returning with some special guests pretty soon. I have a few lined up, hopefully, and we'll have a little more of a light-hearted one sometimes tonight. I'm just feeling reflective and a little bit spookier than usual, perhaps. But there's a thing I always like to do, which I talked about, I believe, when um, Adam S. Leslie was a guest on the show, which is listening to the sound of a dial tone. Try it sometime. If you're near a landline, if you've still got one in your house or someone you know has, I mean, they're going to survive much longer. It's perhaps it's worth doing just when you're on your own, especially at night, and the house is empty, just lift the landline and just listen to the dial tone as long as you can stand it. We put ourselves into those empty spaces, those empty sounds. Try it. Listen to dial tone. You can learn a lot about yourself by your responses to that, I think. Maybe you'll hear a voice talking to you sooner or later. So, I'd like to thank my special guest tonight for a marvellous, sterling voice work. Who can say who that was? Which mysterious creature spoke out of the phone lines to you right here tonight? couldn't possibly conjecture. Someone who desires not to be perceived, perhaps. Thank you so much, dear. Um, and until next time and our next trip on the Violet Ghost Train, good night, my friends. I'll see you all soon. 
Help me. Susie's drowning.